Are we recording? Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Going, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a sandwich and a net. Okay, so this is the first uh, Spiral Out Zoom podcast, so this should be entertaining. So today um, we're going to discuss what obviously the current situation and what happens with a lot of people's training and having to train in somewhat, in, for most people, somewhat of a limited scenario. And I'm sure we, I can speak to myself, I have clients that um, basically have no equipment. I have clients that have two weights, one dumbbell and one kettlebell. I have clients that have one barbell with limited selection of weights and a couple medicine balls. And I have clients all the way up to, they own a gym so they can train at it, right? Um, I'm sure you guys probably have similar situations. Yep, for sure. People who have weights at a gym, people who have weights in their apartment, their high rise apartment on top of neighbors. Some who have nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so I guess the what, uh, what we really want to talk about is people um, and the way that they would or the way that we would design the training for our clients that are, that are basically really uh, really limited in their training in their tra- training um, options. So they no longer have a gym with ski ergs, rowers, air bikes, boxes. Um, pull-up bars, rings, ropes, all selections of dumbbells, all selections of kettlebells, a full selection of barbells, and all kinds of space, Uh, GHD, everything. So you go from that scenario um, to you have your basement, and basically, let's just say a pair of dumbbells. That's probably a pretty common uh, scenario. So what's one of the main things um, that we wanted to discuss first with part one of the podcast being talking about um, basically the current environment of a limited training environment or a limited training, uh, I guess, equipment environment. Like what's, what's one of the first things we would want to uh, mention about that and things to consider when you're going to try to, I guess we might want to pick an athlete or pick a, pick some, maybe just keep someone in mind or keep maybe two people in mind maybe like someone who's a really high-end competitor um doesn't matter male or female um so they they can perform all the movements in the sport of crossfit um and they can do it really well and they're really strong and they're really experienced versus someone who is kind of a like like a not not a beginner level maybe an intermediate level uh, performer so uh, they're probably limited in their in their upper body strength they can't really perform all the gymnastic movements um they need to get way better at squatting, deadlifting, snatch, clean, and jerk. They're probably not, their work capacity is not great enough. So maybe we just keep those two, I guess, generic ideas in mind. Um, yeah. So what's one of the main considerations that I guess would be shared by both of those people if, as they move into this scenario of training in their basement um, with very limited equipment? Well, they're, you have a high likelihood of overusing certain movement patterns for sure. Right. 
And I think given that scenario, if it is just a, a so pair just of dumbbells. down there, why, and why, why would you, why would that occur? Oh, Scott's pissed. If they only have access to say a, a pair of dumbbells, yeah. then obviously the things that they're able to do are extremely limited. Um, yeah. But things that are easy to do when you have limited equipment is a lot of like knee flexion type stuff, you know, whether it's squatting, lunging, um, jump squats, walking lunges, stuff like that, that doesn't require a lot of equipment. It's really easy to overdo those movement patterns and less easy to incorporate like hinging type movements, pressing type movements, pulling type movements. So then you tend to kind of just, your, your workouts kind of steer towards what direction mm. um, and, and what's easiest to accomplish given your limited access to equipment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So like, if you just think about that idea of it's easy to um, it's easy to overload knee flexion and it's easy, which is okay. It's good. Cause then if you, if you no longer have the ability to squat or if you do front squat, back squat, deadlift at loads approaching your maximum, um, you, you're, you, you want to try to find ways to create, uh, or not create, try to maintain, uh, muscular function, both in strength, power, endurance as best you can in a basically, uh, very low load environment. Right. But what usually happens with that is like you said, is repetitions just get multiplied. Um, and one of the downsides is that is, um, at home with low loads, it's, it's, it is, it is harder to create, in my opinion, it'd be harder to create, um, I, I guess like a similar type of training environment or to similar type of training stimulus with, to the posterior aspect of the legs. So the calves, hamstring, glutes back as you could do for the anterior aspect, right? Um, just with a pair of dumbbells, like you really do need load for the lower back to, to train that. Whereas like you can do lots of pistols if, if you're capable of doing that without creating any problems you can change tempos. And even if you just add a little bit of load, you might be able to adequately train the quadriceps um, to at least maintain some strength, right? And you can do different uh, jumping variations that are acceptable for you, which we can probably talk about later. Um, but what do you actually do? What can you actually do for the lower back with when there's no load or very low load, right? It's just hard. And just, yeah, and then considering trying, and, sorry, and then obviously trying to train to, uh, to balance out a program that's all knee flexion um, at home. That's a hard part too. Considering that the low back is best employed when we start talking about lifting in an isometric fashion, like it's not supposed to move when you're loading it up and anything that you're doing at home with very low weight and high repetitions is going to include some back flexion extension, which is, good but it's not training it the same way you're going to when you have a heavy load mm -hmm. unless you yeah, manage you to sneak like a 150 pound sandbag from the gym that you worked out at and then like okay now you can do some stuff mm. but with those dumbbells <laughs> yeah you're training it very differently yeah so obviously with that um just on that topic of loading so if you're if you're likely if you're unable to use the same amount of loading um you're likely going to be, you're not going to be able to create the same amount of mechanical tension. So your ability to likely maintain uh, muscle mass 
uh, will be hard. It's going to be hard to do that. Um, if you're used to, if you're used to maintaining a muscle mass that you're at with high loads, um, cause that's how you're going to get there, creating tension, creating, adding load, continue. Um, when you go to a scenario where you're now having to do sets of 20 to get, you know, what would be called five effective reps or sets of 30 to get five effective reps. You had 25 reps before that, that were not being used, so to speak, to maintain that muscle mass, right? So that you're just adding to knee flexion by doing that. And it's just, a, it's a complicated, um, it's just a really challenging scenario. And like, it's like I was mentioning last week, I personally believe that as you reduce the, the options individuals have to use, the person designing the training has to be more and more confident. Um, because it is much more, it's more, it's easier to create more problems with less options. You agree with that? Yeah. Or, or just, or just to think about that. Cause obviously if you have someone who doesn't know how to manage loading and you have all the options available to you, yeah, you can create lots of problems. But um, if you have someone who doesn't, if basically as a coach, if, if you're, if you're inexperienced with, guess if you're new and if you're inexperienced with managing training uh, variables, it's really easy to overdo things when, when you're not trying to, uh, when you're not trying to, um, I guess, almost balance all these different variables at once. Um, like how many reps, how many reps of squats did you do? Uh, how much work specifically was done on the quadriceps? How much work was done, like, um, I guess, at, at the glutes? Like how much and, and what movements focus on what? And then how do you get similar training effects, and, but do it a different way. So it's not just repetitive stuff over and over. So again, when you only have a pair of dumbbells, um, to me, I would say that would, that would be challenging for someone who's new to coaching. Yeah, it's really easy to kind of just throw things together haphazardly to create, you know, variety and, and novel training situations, but to do it with some sort of um, intent in mind. And like you said, to create balance, uh, it takes an incredible amount of brain power to do that. And we talked about that last time we spoke last week about, you know, just how, how much effort and mental effort it takes to sit down and write programs for people week after week that have those limited uh, training scenarios, right? And it's, it's incredibly challenging to do it and to do it well. And, and how about uh, trying to remember all the different equipment people have? <laughs> that's, the, that's the worst. There's a list Impossible. specific to that person. I'm always it's, thinking about it. I'm like, yeah. okay, what does, what, what? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, Michael, sorry. I only have a 37 and a half pound dumbbell. Not yeah, a 35. exactly. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a 30 kg kettlebell, not a 30 pound dumbbell. I'm like, gosh. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then kind of a, along with that. So, okay. So go back to the start. People go from uh, having full on training to now they're training in their basement. So one of the main things that's going to occur uh, or should probably occur with your training is initially your training volume should go down, right? That we would kind of agree on that based on the, the you're going to have lim less training options. So if you're used to having a 90 minute, two hour training session, you probably should go down to a 30, 45 minute training session initially, maybe because you have less options available to you. Um, and you don't want fi to just fill that time with things because you think your training session is supposed to be that long um, because your ability to train different elements of fitness is vastly diminished now. So you have to knowingly accept initially that you should be probably doing a little bit less training if you're in this really, um, really restricted training scenario. 
What do you think? Yep. And I've actually had clients reach out to me and say, you know, the workouts are really short. Like, yeah. can, I, can I double these up? And like, it has to be that way. And it has to be that way for those reasons that you just mentioned. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, in a couple of weeks or a few weeks down the road, maybe we can look at lengthen them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you have access to more equipment in a couple of weeks and we can kind of, you know, add some more things in without, you know, kind of compounding on what we've already programmed for that day. Um, without any ill effects, but for right now it has to be this way. And, and, for, and, and these are the reasons why. And just having that conversation with clients is really important and kind of letting them, because I mean, they don't, they don't understand, right? A lot of those, a lot of those clients, they're just like, all of a sudden they see a drastic decrease in the workload and they're like, now what do I do? Even having something as simple as a nice day to work with so people can go running changes dramatically how much time they can spend training that day. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that, that access to it, um, you like it, it's, the goal of the training session isn't just to fill time. The goal of the training session is to achieve a training effect and adding in running to something can change what, how much work volume you can do that day is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the same thing as if you had a rower, if you had access to a rower, boom, completely different game. But if you're very limited, you're, yeah. The amount of time you can train is limited. It has to be. Again, the one asterisk being with running, running being the, um the important modality there and that like if someone just gets if someone just gets a bike uh and they haven't biked in a month two months they can hop on and do 30 minutes of intervals designed for you and be fine um if someone hasn't run in a month two months three months four months five months unless they're unless they have this background of being really good at running uh structurally they're they're designed well for it they have lots of experience their training volumes be really low with running initially. And it would still go from if they're, if they're spending three, four five hours a week on ergs, uh, they're not replacing that with running at all. Um, they're going to replace it with one hour in the first week, maybe, and then maybe 90 minutes in week two. So the training volume will go, will be up here for that. And then COVID comes and it goes down here. And then you try to find a way to make it go back up in a productive way. Like Jay was saying, you want to try to make it, not just be filler, you want it to be effective. But um, yeah, psychologically that's challenging uh, for people to go, okay, my workout is now 40 minutes. Why? You're like, well, what, what else are we gonna do? Are we just gonna keep adding repetitions in for some reason? Um, I, just, I just always worry about like, what are we doing? We're just wasting time. Not wasting time, we're just, we're just throwing out useless reps, right? That's the way I would think of it. So the volume is down. Um, so likely, you know, likely you're going to lose some form of strength in lots of different ways. Um, likely you'll lose some muscle mass, um, which is, again, that's, that's kind of, I guess there's not really much you can do with that. You have to do your best to try to maintain things as best you can, um, with effective designs and, uh, adjusting tempos and reps as needed and being creative with movements that are going to be appropriate. Um, the one thing that we well, just quickly, uh, one of us can touch on, and we can all chime in on it, which we were talking about in the, the uh, before we started recording about um, if people don't have a lot of load, so they can't do snatching, clean and jerk squatting, a uh, good option for them to do, if, if again, if it's appropriate for them, uh, is some form of plyometrics. 
but how do you start, like, where do you start with that? So if someone just goes, yeah, I'm used to doing snatch clean and jerk. Um, and then you go, okay, do you ever do, uh, do you ever do like uh, bounding? Do you ever do vertical jumps or any of that stuff? And they go, no. Nope. Okay. So where do you start with that person? Assuming they're really strong. Like, uh, like obviously the idea is that you're going to try to mimic weightlifting as best you can without weight. So, um, jumping is a good idea for that to try to maintain some form of power and speed through the legs. So what's a starting point for some people? And let's just, let's take someone who's like, again, that intermediate level person first. So, the is, so they haven't done it. Uh, should they just start doing broad jumpy moms? Yeah, no, like that's, <laughs> you have to start with the progression of mechanics on how to yeah. land yeah. and doing something as simple as jumping and landing and sticking landing on the spot or jumping down from the first stair of your staircase and sticking the landing so that you're in control of it. Like that's, that's a massive skill that a lot of us will take for granted. But if you have zero experience with it, like it's hard, it's yeah. very tough. You don't know how to control your body. You start moving in different directions, loading the knee improperly, et cetera. So that's a perfect place to start. Yeah, so maybe you do that on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of your workouts now for like maybe a total of, and this is how you would do it. You would count the touches. So you do, okay, we do 25 total lands on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Totally good. Okay, now next week you can either progress the movement or you can progress the repetitions. Um, so you might do the same amount of reps maybe from the second stair. Who knows? Um, and go, okay, now we're going to do the reps. If someone's an intermediate athlete, they'll progress through yep. it relatively quickly. Yep. Like they do, but it's not something that you should skip even if you are an intermediate athlete. There's no, yep. there's no way to skip it. Otherwise, if you do, then you're opening yourself up to a whole lot of Yeah, the, and the big issues. thing we're getting at is for clients, it's like some clients that may go rogue and want to start adding stuff in. Um, it's just it's the common issue of injury mechanisms where you're, there's too much loading too fast or there's too much work volume too soon. Um, and you didn't give the tissues time to adapt to the stimulus you were trying to place on them. So you want to get good in a marathon. You don't just go, go run the distance because your body is not able to withstand the workload. Um, you have to train up to that. Uh, in a similar line of thinking with regards to jumping, you may want to be able to train broad jumps and perform like 30 or 40 reps in a session. That seems like a lot, but you may think that you want to do that, or you may want to do a, like bounding drills to maintain your leg power as best you can. Okay, good. But you're at, you're at the starting point. You have to start from part zero and move up. Um, and that goes with all this stuff. Like the, the training, training principles don't die because you're in your basement, right? Like you still have to follow progression. You still have to make, like, make sense of the amount of reps that are being done through any one muscle group or any one movement or any one joint you still have to account for this stuff. Um, it's not just the wild, wild west again, cause you're in your basement. Agreed, there's no. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to give people more, like again, for people that wouldn't be used to discussing um, progression in training, like again, like Jason was saying is exactly right. You start with very little loading, um, in terms of like, if you're going to, if you want to get into broad jumps, you would go, okay, well, I don't know how to land first. So I have to incorporate that. And let's just say you don't ever do any form of box jumps. Then you'd also want to do the other end. You want to jump, but you want to land on a higher surface. So you're jumping up to it and you're landing. So the, the loading of being on the, on, 
as you absorb your load on top of the box or on top of the stair is very low. Um, can you hear Alice? Is that yeah. what you're doing at? Can you hear her crying? We're not crying, yelling. Um, we're good parents. We're really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So I think we're okay with that. Um, so then the next, uh, yeah, the next part would be, um, so if you, that's the limited training scenario to recap, you're likely going to lose your, your training volume should probably go down initially or should have gone down. Um, you don't want to fill, uh, the usual amount of time you have, which is crap. And then you want to obviously progress things logically as you would, or as you should be doing, and you should have been doing pro prior to this and you should do after it. If you are going to add in player metrics, you need to be very smart about it. Um, and you need to account for how much work you're doing. And you also need to account for progressions. Uh, you likely are going to lose some muscle mass and you likely, uh, I guess the last part would be you're going to lose resiliency in a lot of different areas that you're probably not going to be aware of until you go back to the gym, <laughs> um, which is the next part of the podcast. So we talk about returning to normal. So um, after, after everyone can return back to normal life, whenever that is 2022, 2023, something like that. Um, what's some things that we would want to discuss. And the first thing we brought up in our little uh, note taking is um, kind of like a reload. So you would have a short period, could be one week, two weeks, three weeks um, to get your body uh, and your body parts kind of used to where you left off back in, you know, early March type thing. So what does that look like? And what, what do we mean by that? Well, the loading just has to be very, uh, light to moderate I guess initially and it has to be progressed in a very smart fashion so you'd probably be looking at like a two or three two or three week reload um to get so use the example of squatting to, to get your your spine used to having load on your back or in the front rack um you don't want to just go back in there and throw on your your previous five rep max on a back squat and try and match it when not when you haven't done any spinal loading over the last however long at this point, five plus weeks and potentially, you know, two or three months um, where you haven't had a bar on your back. So um, there's obviously going to be some, some atrophy and some strength loss, like you said, um, and with regards to the spine, um, you, just, you don't want to mess around with that if you haven't done any spinal loading. Um, and in terms of gymnastics, like if you, if you don't have the ability to do any gymnastics or, to to the you know adequate levels you were doing before um then you got to take that in, into consideration in terms of one your hands will take a beating if you're doing any sort of bar work and pulling work and two just the sheer amount of, of volume you can't just jump back in with that either to and to do the you know the pre-covid volume you were doing before you're going to end up you know uh, potentially getting yourself into, into an injurious position, whether it's, you know, shoulder related or just muscle related, soft tissue related. Um, so you just have, you have to just really kind of slow the ramp up, start very light, moderate with volume, with load, um, and take, you know, two or three weeks to kind of progress your way through that and know that by the end of those two or three weeks, you're probably still not going to be where you were when you left off, obviously, but now you can actually start adding in some more load and a little bit more intensity, uh, in a, in a safer setting. Can't wait for all the, Instagram posts of the post COVID PRs. <laughs> Seriously, that's definitely going to be a thing. Yeah. Post COVID PR. Any um, thoughts on that? For me? Is yeah, that what, what you think? Said? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I just think the same thing that uh, Scott had mentioned before. But, you know, it's like if you're doing burpees and air squats, you're not going to want to go in and do a workout of ring muscle-ups like 30 for time or something like that. Um, or even like some people who are in the beginner phases of skills or intermediate phases of skills, they might find it a bit frustrating at first because uh, there might be even some like regression in the level that they were at. If someone was just doing like three kipping um, pull-ups, you're going to have to go back to starting with swings and that kind of thing. And that might be frustrating. So taking it slow and being patient. I think it's pretty simple for us if we're working with people who have planned deloads or unplanned deloads all the time. As long as we can go through this progression over and over and over again, someone comes back from a surgery, like <laughs> it takes a while to get back to even the starting point of a progression. Um, or someone has a, a, a low back tweak that has nothing to do with training, that happens at work, you're not going to go back to normal loading in, a, in the gym. It's just one of those things that is built into how you look at training. From an athlete perspective, you may not necessarily make that connection, especially if you've been training at home. Um, but I'd almost, I'd guarantee, even if you have a sick ass home gym, your training yeah. intensity and volume is not what it was. I, because just the psychological impact of being in a different environment, being out of routine, when you hit your workouts, you're not hitting it at the same intensity as you are when you're surrounded by the people that you're usually trained with the social aspect that pushes you far, farther and faster. If you don't have that for five weeks or two months, you're, you're detrained. So you have to take the time to build back up. Yeah, it's just yeah, and trying you, to be aware of it is tough. And yeah, and yeah. Then what Jay was saying with regards to potentially just either on, on like subconsciously slowing down or just knowingly slowing down, um, and not trying as hard for whatever reason, just because of situation stuff, you're lifting on your own, your basement. Um, so you have a great gym and you're probably still going to have some limitations if you're training down there by yourself. Um, and then the other person, like I said, if the person with just dumbbells and that's it, they're like, they may think they're trying, they, they may be trying as hard as they can in what they're doing, but the actual stimulus on the body is going to be much lower just because the loading is going to be a lot less. Uh, and the, the, basically the intensity potential of the movements are going to be a lot less if the training is done well, like you can't, you, you can't just, again, it, it, there's because you have to balance this ability to create a training effect, maintain uh, physical characteristics best you can while not just adding up reps and overloading or, or just overdoing repetition uh, and overusing certain areas for no benefit. Um, My, uh, kind of like why why did you do 400 air squats when the effective dose was 150 why did you do the other 250 there is no reason to do that my uh my nightmare scenario scenario is athletes going back who have been doing um home workouts and they get a prescribed workout that is the beginning of a progression and they and they're working out in a crossfit gym and they see the class doing something and they jump in on that after their their workout yeah. And I'm like, I just, I'm afraid of that because I'm like, you, you can't, not yet. Like though every, everyone in that class workout may be extremely sore and I'll be unable to go up and down stairs for two weeks after that. Right. Like you don't <laughs> they only train two days a week, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another great point. Uh, Jay, 
like again when you if you if again if you are that class person you're so you're not uh you're not the per, not this person we were talking about with your dumbbells in your basement or maybe you are you go back to a class and still would apply to the advanced athlete your brain is still tuned to be who you were before so when you go back into those movements you you may perceive and feel that these are the way this is what you should be doing and how you're gonna be doing it but um like you know that you you're just gonna be biting off way more than you can chew initially um you're gonna get going and go wow i'm absolutely mangled like uh-huh because you don't have like there's a lot of characteristics that are not being trained at home and they were almost not even being maintained but you're just trying to do the best you can so you want to come in and slowly ramp things up over the course of a few weeks and make it safe and as effective as possible and move forward from there. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.